You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Russians. This ain't gonna be easy. Not as easy as it used to be. Well, we've been through worse. Yeah, when? Flensburg, there was twice as many. We were younger. I still am young. We had guns. Put your hands down, will you? You're embarrassing us. Bet you 500 bucks we get out of this. Let's call it 100. You're a nice building, yes? Drop dead. I'm sorry. I'm a drop dead comrade. Where was he found? In Mexico. They were digging in the dirt, looking for the stuff. You're not from around here, are you? Where is it you would imagine I am from, Dr. Jones? Well, the way you're sinking your teeth into those Wobbyus, I should think maybe Eastern Ukraine. Highest marks. Colonel Dr. Irinus Balko. <sighs> Three times I have received order of Lenin. Also, medalist hero of socialist labor. And why? Because I know things. I know them before anyone else. And what I do not know, I find out. Now, what I need to know now is in here. You're a hard man to read, Dr. Jones. Ouch. So, we will do this, what is the expression? Old-fashioned way. You will tell us. You will help us find what we seek. Welcome, everyone, to the 602 Club, where if drinks had a name, this is the place that you would get them. I am so glad to be here. I am your host, Matthew Rushing. And I, I'm, I just, this guy and I, we go so far far back now because of this show it is so wonderful to have back the one and only john mills sitting in his seat the butt print is back how's it going buddy oh it's pretty great i uh, i'll be uh, bronzing the butt print pretty soon um which 
Actually, no, that might not be a good plan. I don't know. I was going to say, that's going to make your chair a lot less comfortable. Yeah, I'll probably slide off. You know what? I'm happy with with the way it is. Thanks for having (laughs) me back, man. It's always a good time. Yeah, absolutely enjoy having you here. Um, You know, it is funny to think that years ago now, we met each other because of this show. That's Uh, true. And now we're buds. It's great. Uh, It is funny to think that one of my best friends in the world, I didn't meet till this last year. Yeah, and we went to San Francisco together. So yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> uh, if you want to find the show, you can find us all over the place. Uh, but one of the best places to do it is on iTunes at iTunes.com/slash/TrekFM. Uh, you can find every single show that we do there. And while you're there, I, I really encourage you. Um, we say this every week, and I'm sure people just kind of like skip this part. But if you're not skipping it. Reviews are really important on iTunes. Um, they help people find the show. And so I highly encourage you, go over to iTunes, give us a star rating review, and help more people find the show. If you like it, spread the word by doing that. Uh, you know, we're a Parsec-nominated show this year. Uh, we, we got a finalist position, so super well excited deserved. about that. Well-deserved. Oh, Very well-deserved, Matt. Um, I, we do what we can here. We're, we're here for the listeners. If you want to interact with us, you can get us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Heck, if you really want to interact with us, you got to go over to the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook. If you type Babel into the search field there on Facebook, you'll find us. Or if you're at our website at trek.fm, which is a great place to visit because you can see all the different shows, all the different episodes. And anytime you're on a show page, click Discussion, and that will bring you over to the listeners-only discussion group. Uh, and if you want more long-form conversation, uh, you you really got to get something off your chest please send us an email. I love getting emails from people about things around the show. Uh, go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to me and any other host here that's on that week. And you know what, too? I, heck, if your email, send it to us about what we talked about. We we could start reading those emails on the show and, and talk about maybe make that a new segment. Who knows? So, But we got to get the emails in before we can do that. Um, so... John, the reason that we have gathered in this uh, hallowed ground uh, (laughs) of geekdom is to talk about something that may be the most maligned thing since The Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd say that's a fair fair statement. Uh, It it may even be more maligned now because a lot of people, I feel like, have mellowed towards the prequels. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yes, they have. I, I think a lot of people buried the hatchet uh, because of the Force Awakens. It's almost like they they just said, "Okay, well, we'll live with it," or or something like that. But I, I you they know, begrudgingly made up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They agreed to stop bullying the Phantom Menace. That well, and I think uh, you know a lot of people may have gone back and and kind of like watched the Clone Wars that may have helped their opinion too of the prequels. Oh, yeah. You know that kind of thing. So, but. We are talking about none other than Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull tonight, which uh, I wanted, I don't think I've ever asked you this, John, so I'm going to be really interested. You know, what was your first impression of the movie walking out? You know, your first time seeing it. I know you're a huge Indiana Jones fan, as so many of us are. Uh, when you first came out of the movie, what was your thought process and what was your heart telling you about this movie? I liked it. 
And I remember being there. Uh, I was there with a kid, not one of my own kids, because uh, I, I was there with a friend and, uh, and, and their kid came along. And it was uh, this child's first exposure to Indiana Jones. And oh, nice. I will always have a positive memory because I knelt down and uh, talked to her about, you know, the, the meaning of the end of the movie and, and Spalco's mission and, you know, trying to open secrets that you're not prepared to understand and stuff like that. And I think that probably was a very positive thing to come out. And, uh, you know, so it's tied to that positive memory. But more importantly, I liked it. I Was I raving nuts about it? No, but I liked it. I think I was probably in the same camp, you know, uh, to me. And, and this was my thought process going in. And this is different from every other fan, but for me... Uh, if I felt like this movie was better than the Temple of Doom, I was going to be cool. Uh, Temple of Doom is my least favorite. I still like them all, but it's it's kind of like Bond movies, you know, where you have so many of them and you, you definitely have your least favorites. Uh, and so if, if this eclipsed that for me, if I, if I thought it was better than that, I was going to be okay. And I, you know, I came out of it definitely thinking that it was. Um, you know, I, I think the strongest of the series is still... Uh, Raiders, and then the Last Crusade. But this was a, a fun, enjoyable romp in the Indiana Jones universe, and it, it felt like Indiana Jones to me. Um, I understood, I felt like where they were trying to go, why they you know did the changes that they did in certain areas and all of that. And I just, I, I don't know. Like I feel like so many times we come out of these big geek movies, you know, and... If it's just fun uh, and enjoyable, like people, that's not good enough anymore. There, there's something about yeah. Indiana Jones that was always just like you came out of it feeling like you were indie, you know, like and you could go like have rip roaring adventures like you just wanted to get out there and explore the world kind of thing. Like it, it left you feeling good about yourself, you know, I, I think that uh, with I, I think that. The earlier reference to Phantom Menace is very, very relevant because this is something, again, where a lot of years passed and the legend of Indiana Jones just solidified and became more cemented in everybody's brain. And it creates this insurmountable uh, hill to overcome. And I think that with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, they're, they're rewatching it this time there is some stuff in it that betrays the feeling of Indiana Jones. It's not quite the same. And the two things that popped out at me, because I was trying, I, like I, I, I was talking with other people and I, I was saying, you know, why don't you like this so much? I, I want to try to, you know, crack this nut, you know, just really give it to me here. And I think personally, the, 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 the path that I see here is it's far more, complicated and linear than previous Indiana Jones movies. It's a, it's a much busier movie. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, you know, lead-in teaser adventure in the beginning. that get, Like, it's all one unified plot. It's one pursuit right. through the whole thing. And I think that can be a little disorienting. And they're definitely going for a different vibe in this, trying to call out the 50s monster mm -hmm. and alien movies instead of the, the 1940s serials. Right. So... Jones exists in a different time in a different space. And I think that there's also a slower maturity to him 
that I think catches the audience a little bit off guard. He is older. It's just a function of time. Right. You know, we're seeing a, you know, a guy near the end, well, closer to the end than he was, you know? I want to ask you specifically about that because, you know, if you read any of the behind-the-scenes material, which I have the, the complete making of Indiana Jones books uh, by Rinsler, uh, who did the same thing for the, the original uh, trilogy of Star Wars, which a um, brilliant book. Uh, and then I was watching the behind-the-scenes stuff on, on the uh, uh, digital copy that I have, and one of the things they call out is, is really, obviously, this is something that the fans really wanted. Uh, Steven knew that, you know, George knew that, Harrison knew that. Um, but Harrison is really credited as being the one who kind of kept coming back to saying, why aren't we doing another one? The fans want it, and it's so much fun. Like, Harrison loves this role more than any other role, I think, that he plays. Like, And part of that, I think, is because Indiana Jones is all his. He doesn't have to share it with anyone. Um, but I, I think Harrison and Indy are the most similar in, 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 in real life. Like, I feel like Indiana Jones and, and Harrison Ford are just the, kind of the same person in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I, 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 can, uh, I can definitely see that. I, I, I think that the the thing the thing with me that is the hardest to overcome for the entire film uh and this is going to sound really weird i know uh is the look i think that the cinematography in this is so different from the first 3 that it's it's palpably different you're you are on a subconscious level visually aware that this is not the same look. And I think that if Spielberg had been willing to reach out to a different uh, director of photography who had a style that was a bit more uh, a, a bit more welcome to the you know the modern making it look like an old Indiana Jones movie using the new backdrops and technology, I think that it would have it would have worked out a bit better because I think that Kaminsky's uh, comfort area is not here. It is not here. It, now he's, he's the DP that, that Spielberg always works with. And so they're going to work on this one as well because they work together on everything. But I think that the, the movie really would have benefited from that. But in terms of Ford coming back, I think that, I think that there is a really muddy water here because there is very much post-reaction to it. After Crystal Skull came out, it's sort of been Spielberg and Ford that have smirkingly said, oh, you know, maybe the MacGuffin wasn't so great. I'm not going to space next time. And I understand that, but at the same time, Lucas is a proven great collaborator if they had such a problem with certain parts of this script i don't understand what type of environment they're thinking they're in that uh, you know that they're they're pinning all of the failure on all of the audience's perception of failure on lucas for this instead right. of saying oh well we made this all together well, and, you know, that is something, again, when you look at the behind-the-scenes stuff, obviously Harrison really wants to do this, and I think that really, that's the thing that makes the movie work the most for me, is that Harrison Ford is so 
alive in this film. Like he he is having a blast doing it. He's loving being back. And you can tell. I mean, it's palpable on screen, his performance. He's he's Indiana Jones again. There's no doubt about that. The I guess it's a good time to talk kind of talk about like the reason for the setting. I mean, we are 18 years later. They weren't going to do an Indiana Jones movie that had him in the same exact place that he was before, which was the late 30s, because it doesn't make sense. They had to deal with his age. So, whether you like it or not, Stephen doesn't come up with the stories. George does. Uh, right. George is the one who has to come up with this stuff, and he even says that in the material. He's like, I have to come up with these stories. And for the longest time, they really couldn't figure out how to make this work. One, because of the time, and George just couldn't think of a MacGuffin for them to chase that felt worthy of Indiana Jones. And especially after you've done, you know, The Last Crusade, you have to find something. And so George finally kind of really started thinking about it and thought of the idea of, well, what if we do a homage to the 50s B movies, the sci-fi B movies? We have a way to explain Harrison's age so it feels realistic. And then I think some of the things that, you know, the look and the feel being a slightly different I always chalk up to them. They're trying to be Indiana Jones, but they're also being true to the era they're copying and not as much the era they used to copy, and therefore the look should be a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. So all of that mixed together, they come up, George is like, it's got to be, if we're going to do the 50s, it's got to be the sci-fi B-movies because that's what makes sense for the genres that we've copied before in that kind of action-adventure serial. We move to this. Um, it, it works. And then on top of that, um, it's got to be aliens somehow. Uh, and, and George was very specific of wanting it to be the Crystal Skulls because that was a way to having it be slightly more uh, metaphysical and um, superstitious and all of those kind of things than beyond it just being aliens, you know? And that was the idea, and he convinced Stephen of it. He was able to convince Harrison of it, and they all work on it together. So you're absolutely right that it is kind of unfair for them to come back and say, oh, well, this is not our fault basically because they all agreed to do this and they were really excited about it um and i don't know for you uh, because the setting for a lot of people they didn't like that it changed so much does that work for you it does it does as as much as i i uh am you know kaminsky has one you know an oscar or so hey um what do i know and john has not so just to be clear yeah you know (laughs) Uh, the fact that they're going for that is what allows me to shelve some of the background work um, and, and look of the movie and say, oh, well, they're going for that. I, I think that the problem becomes the fact that it doesn't meld. Uh, if you're going to go for that, go for it whole hog. And there are too many scenes where you flip back and forth between the hyper-realistic look, and then the bad, schlocky 1950s sci-fi background. I'll give you an example. Where they're in, where they're first getting to Area 51, and they're about to go in, and that background is obviously a digital background, and it's done to look a certain way. 
totally works. I get it. I'm in the flow here. I, I'm, I'm with you. And then you go to the college town and it looks like just a regular straight up Indiana Jones movie, uh, you know, in, in terms of, of, of the lighting and, and, and everything. And it's for me, that's where I see sort of the, the gears not meshing. Go for it whole hog if you're going to go for it. Go one direction or the other. And I think that also it doesn't quite work out when they are cutting through the Amazon. I, I, I am bothered by uh, some of the background shots. Now, it gets worse. It's really interesting because recently I was in a room where people were hate-watching it. Um, and when it was being broadcast on TV, they, they did that sort of half-zoom-in sort of thing where it's kind oh, of yeah. letterboxed. Ugh. And it actually made the backgrounds look even worse. Um, but it, I just think that that, that whole thing, uh, the, just the two worlds collided and didn't quite mesh. And that's, that's where I think really you know, the, the big misfire is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one, I, I, uh, watching the extras, that scene that you're talking about right outside of Area 51, the first shot, mm-hmm. and especially where Spalco comes out of the door and it looks like it's fake, it's not yeah. fake. That's right. actually just the sky that night um and it's obviously enhanced and everything you know they they clean everything up but i was i was blown away i was like because i always thought that that wasn't true like i thought that that was on a set oh i thought that was now see the thing is that's where that's where i am gonna throw uh where i'll throw the 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 photography under the bus then because the lighting looked like it was a set uh the lighting yeah the uh, the, the lighting because, because the lighting there, in the, yeah. the lighting in that scene is what totally makes it look like it's inside well, with and, a and, fake background and that is another thing that um i was reading that they had such a struggle with because you know they haven't lit an indiana jones movie for 18 years uh and the lights that they used to use don't exist anymore um all the light bulbs are completely different they're all made differently and they're made with different components too Um, so they had a real struggle. They actually talked about that. They had a real struggle of trying to create that same lighting with a completely different lighting system. Uh, so they, they really struggled with that. So I I think you calling it out is, is, is not something that they, um, and, and that's partly where I will call this out as you're talking about, you know, especially like the, uh, and and, you know, I can see it too. I don't, I understand in the, um, the jungle, you can see the shots that are taking place on the green screen. You can see the shots where they're inserting the plates and all that stuff. Um, I do think that sometimes Steven's uh, predilection for having everything be as real as possible actually hurts the film because if you just do it completely digitally, uh, it's sometimes easier to buy. Uh, well, it's consistent. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's consistent from shot to shot. Yes, yeah. and 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 in a scene like that, where once you get into the jungle, uh, the more that's digital there, the easier it is to to make it consistent. Now, see, while we're talking about the jungle, let's go ahead and address the uh, as as a friend of mine, Craig calls it, the monkey army, which uh, is yes. at best a couple of shots where. Instead of having Mutt disappear and then reappear at the right moment, which is a very Indiana Jones type of thing in the way I wish they they would have gone. Right. Instead, they're a little self-indulgent and they show him swinging through the vines with monkeys swinging around him. There's right. no monkey army. He doesn't rally the monkeys like uh, not really, you no. know, like a bunch of Ewoks to come and attack the evil 
Empire or anything like that. It's a gag so that they can get the shot in where where Spielberg and Lucas can make fun of their greaser friends in the past and say, we looked like a bunch of monkeys hanging out. Well, Steven has come out and said, hey, you stop blaming George for that because he said that was all my idea. Uh, okay. he, he has admitted that the monkeys were all his idea. Um, and uh, in fact, even, you know, when uh, Spalco throws the monkey off, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, he inserted that he had them insert the shot where the monkey doesn't die. So you can really see some things where Steven has like pulled back. That's uh, so interesting because there's that is like, you know, yeah, he, he's not willing to be cruel anymore or have anybody, but he's too cruel because he's, he's, you know, he's really mellowed out. <laughs> the, the guy who made a movie where somebody's heart got torn out and, uh, burst into flame. Yeah. And also, as I recall in Raiders, even though you didn't see it happen, you saw uh, the German throw a uh, throw a melon at an off-screen dog, and you heard the dog get hit and yelp. Yep. And instead, this many years later, he spares the monkey. That is absolutely correct. Interesting. So, uh, you know, and, and I think you can see that, and 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 this is where you know George is you know he writes a thing and then Stephen takes that thing and he turns it into the movie he wants to make, and I think you can see the difference in the filmmaker that Stephen was back in the beginning, to the one he is now, um, and he's he's a lot more schmaltzy. Here's here's a question for you because this was playing on my mind as I was watching it as well. Things coming back twenty thirty years later is very much a thing that's happening in Hollywood true this is sort of in the front end of that wave if steven spielberg's name was not on this if they had said we went and we got pick a name out of a hat jj abrams whatever and we're bringing indiana jones back do you think this gets a better reception i don't know um because what i think it was is that it wasn't even spielberg who gets the blame for this movie it's lucas I know, but but what I'm saying is, do you think people, the audience's reaction is different because of the 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 expectation of Spielberg yeah, in yep, the past? Yep. Because I think you're perfectly right in calling out the fact, and again, this is with tremendous respect for Steven Spielberg as a filmmaker. He has made unquestionably some of the best films in the history of film. But And he has more his, Oscars than either of us. So Yes, that's same. true. But his sensibilities, maybe it's his sensibilities don't match what Indiana Jones was, and maybe that's part of the problem. Um, I, I think that his sensibilities, uh, and this is the funny thing, I think his sensibilities actually fit the setting of the film better and work better because of where we are in time. How, uh, how do you mean? In, in where the, where they the are in the storyline or where? Okay. In the film, I, I think his sensibilities actually, his more schmaltzy use of like, I don't know, everything's more cutesy, right? Um, and uh, and the fact that this is kind of like that family film, uh, you know, this this fa- this family coming back together and all those things, I think that fits very much with that um, sense of what George and Stephen both probably miss about that time period. Uh, in, the, in fact, this film reminds me so much of the American graffiti of 
Indiana Jones. Like mm. that, it's like those two films had a baby, and that's what you're getting in a lot uh, of ways. Um, hmm. I, without without hmm. the without the twist at the end of you know because um, without kind of knowing where the characters go at the end of uh, American Graffiti, uh, you know it, it's a lot less serious. Um, so I feel like this is the lot less serious version of American Graffiti mixed with Indiana Jones, and that's kind of what the the feel and the mojo is to this film. I see. I I don't want to come off as you know kicking the movie because I, I do in fact enjoy it, but I think that um, you know I, I think that probably the biggest issue, and maybe this has to do I don't know whose sensibilities match what or or get what if you want to call it blame or whatever, but the the monkey army as people call it isn't the only self indulgent moment where we get a Marcus Brody portrait. Then we get a mention of Marcus Brody. Then we get a statue of Marcus Brody get decapitated. It's a, the like you, if you cut out the portrait or you cut out the mention of him and you just have it be a statue where fans can say, aha, that's Marcus Brody. I think that there is a tendency in this movie to, to go too far um, and not, not hold back on the jokes, uh, as it were. And, and I think maybe that is, is the greatest sin that it has. But the thing is here, here I am throwing all of this shade on it. What I do want to say is that for the complications that it has and all of that stuff, the side characters in this are right up there with all of the other side characters that you've gotten in the, in the Indiana Jones movies. I I love Ray Winstone's character. I Mm -hmm. love, I mean, Spalco is pretty amazing. And I, you know, like it's, it's so easy to sit back and, you know, you know, ping these, these little things and Mm -hmm. you know, they're worth note and everything, but, I think that this movie works a lot better with the character interactions than people give it credit for. Yeah, no, um, because I love that you're going there. I just wanted to say a couple more things that... Oh, sure, uh, yeah. Just about the kind of like wrap up this conversation we've been having about the setting and everything. Um, I think uh, that the setting is 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 kind of perfect. Um, and I think that the way that both Steven and George work together to create the setting creates uh, a different feel uh, and connecting with what you were talking about with Brody uh, and and those kind of scenes because I can see where you're coming from and I can definitely see that this is definitely one of those movies where uh, I think Steven indulged a little bit too much in this the humor uh, of the uh, instead of having some things be more serious but I also see this movie uh, and its setting and what they get to talk about, uh, specifically through Indy talking to um, the new regent, you know, played by Jim Brobent, the fact that they're at the stage of life where life tends to take more things away than it gives. Yeah. And I, I feel like this movie really is, in a lot of ways, uh, Stephen and, and, and uh, George musings on that idea. And even Harrison, too. Uh, that they're yeah. they're all at the age where life kind of tends to give more than it I mean take more than it gives, and yet what I see here is that this is also a story that reflects that 
George Lucas has found a second life. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can definitely see that. I, I, I think that to, to speak to the point overall about the setting and everything, I, the, the setting is, is, is fine. I don't have a problem with the setting. Um, and I don't have a problem with it being a sci-fi movie. Uh, I think that when you're talking about the humor versus the more serious stuff, I think that what makes Raiders and Last Crusade so incredibly successful, like Rise Above, even Temple of Doom, which has its own set of issues, um, is that the serious moments are very serious, and they let you have them, and they're more blunted in this than they should be. Yes, You know, you you have a lot of beautiful moments in Last Crusade when they think Indy has fallen over the cliff, or Mm -hmm. when he's holding him, you know, in the chasm and stuff like that. And I think that if they had been leaner with the number of side characters that they brought in, they wind up with a, a cleaner movie overall that, that allows them you know, to, to be more, more yeah. focused with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that you're right on cue with saying that th- those serious moments, you needed to let those kind of linger and, and be yeah. serious. Um, because that is, that is one of those things about Indiana Jones, um, that it is a fun action adventure movie, but it also, it does take the world in which Indy lives in seriously. Yes. Go all the way back to Raiders. Yeah. When he thinks Marion is dead mm-hmm. and he's sitting there yep. drinking, that is yep. a really somber, yeah. somber scene. Like he is, he's willing to die just to take Belloc out. You know, like that's, I mean, Indy's like suicidal in that scene. Now and you that's just what get makes nasty. Right. That, but that's the thing that makes the humor in other mm-hmm. parts work yes. is you see that that humor is the, the, the release valve, not the default setting. But all that said, there are still jokes in this that work. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask you because I think that this is a place that maybe uh, some people had an issue with was bringing Marion back. I'll never have an issue with and that. And I, I wanted to know, you know, for you how that, because you were, start, we started talking about, uh, you know, some of the character interactions and everything. Uh, and this is definitely one of the, you know, cruxes of the film is is bringing her back into Indiana Jones' life. Yeah. Um, how does that work for you? Perfectly fine. I, I Seriously, I, you're going to bring Marion Ra- Ravenwood back. Okay. Sold. Done. And they have a love child. Sold. Done. Like a hundred percent of the time, there's there's no there's no ifs ands or buts about it, and it's part of that you know colored by nostalgia or whatever, maybe. But at the same time, I think that there's even still chemistry between Karen yes. Allen and Harrison Ford. They're still able to make it work. I'm perfectly happy with it. It, it completely flies for me. What I I mean, but but what about you? I so I I was very specifically rewatching this film. Uh, for the interactions, because I know that that has been a criticism for people about the film, uh, whether it's Karen Allen or uh, Shia, you know, it, it, these characters, um, you know, not working for a lot of people. And I feel exactly the same way you do, that it, specifically with Karen Allen, I, I feel like that her and Ford fall into the routine where they left off. And yes, yes, they feel more mature and and all of those things, but 
Karen Allen is so vivacious in this movie. She's so much enjoying being there, and so is Ford, that it's it's electric, their, their chemistry together. They're just having yeah. a blast being back playing these characters, even though they're like, you know, old. <laughs> like, yes. let's, know, and, let's not beat around the bush. These guys are old, but they, they, they bring this life to them that makes them feel young again. And I, I also want to say, because you mentioned his name, that I, I am tired of the beat up on uh, Shia LaBeouf as a as an actor thing i get that he's you know he's made some personal life choices that leave something to be desired at times but in terms of being an actor he's a fine actor and he pulls this role off just fine he is obviously i you know i'm gonna go ahead and say this is that mutt is lucas musing on who he was back then Mm mm-hmm and the Indiana Jones and Mutt relationship works per- like it works well. And there are moments where it works perfectly. And uh, there are great moments between even with the three of them where, you know, he's when when Mutt is just a guy that he's met. Uh, you don't need college. Get out there and live the world. Yes. You're my son. You're going to go to college. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. What the heck? Like there's very much. I like I enjoy the dynamic that happens with them. I do. I th- I think it's fun. No, I, I I absolutely agree with you because you know on top of Marion being back, them having the love child, and it being Mutt, and it being Shia LaBeouf. You know, I I watched really closely, and he's really good in this movie. He is. He's really good in a lot of movies. Yes, he plays off Harrison Ford very well, and they they seem to get along very well. Uh, him and Karen Allen, you know, Karen Allen. I was reading the the chapters on this film, and she called out. She's like, "This kid is so good. He has so many great instincts as an actor at this age that he is at." You know, and um, the way that he just kind of delivers lines when he's talking about, you know how college isn't for him, you know, and he's been to all sorts of colleges, you know, and like, you know, he, he, he even drops in, you know, and I'm good with a blade, but I mean, it just never was for me. Like the way he delivers all those lines and they come back to play is just, it's just phenomenal. Like he, I don't know. I, I was watching that and I was like, I feel like people watch this with Shia covered glasses Yep. and they just, they, but they're watching it with the Shia who's gone like nuts in his life. <laughs> it's kind of like when yeah. people watch Jared Leto in a film and they can't see anything other than his whatever persona he is in real life. Idiosyncrasies. It, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Um, but the, the the actual performance here is is really wonderful. It's it's a great performance. I so I agree. Um, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. It, yeah, I, I see. The, the, this is the thing. That I know that um, you and I both have have been been pinged on on occasion is we are I, you know what I, I'll I'll take this on myself that uh, people if you watch South Park there's a very infamous episode about this film and I have friends who call me butters because of it because you know the the main characters in South Park have their reaction it's a rather tasteless joke and everything but. Then they cut to Butters in the theater and he's sitting there and he goes, I I don't know, I kind of liked it. And that was me. Like all of my friends are acting like this film is some sort of high crime and misdemeanor 
And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, what, I, yeah, okay. I mean, it's not an Oscar winner, but I like it. I had a good time. What, what are you all so mad about? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't like, it, it's one thing to, you know, sort of, sort of go through and get, oh, well, you're looking at things too positively. Oh, you're, you're looking through these types of glasses, but I legitimately do not get the hatred for this. I can understand people disliking something. I can understand people thinking a performance isn't good. I, we've mentioned things that we have a problem with it. But I, sometimes I see the reaction to a movie, and, and I'm going to throw out there, because one of the things that delayed this movie was Independence Day. And yep. that's what, you know, put it back on the shelf because they had a concept that was relatively close to Independence Day, and they said, eh, they stole our thunder, so let's, let's try to brainstorm this out. But let's take a look at Independence Day Resurgence and oh. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> yeah. I get the reaction on one of them. I don't get the reaction on the other. It doesn't make any sense to me. This movie is not The Room. This movie is not a Neil Breen movie. This movie is not uh, some 70s exploitation flick made for $20 that looks absolutely awful. This is a good movie made by talented individuals, and it is, in fact, enjoyable. Well, and one of the things that I really... One of their... One of the hallmarks of the Indiana Jones films is that they don't seem to try to one-up other movies. They're they're trying to be consistent within the world that they've kind of created, and they just kind of one-up themselves. They they don't they're not worried, and and that was specifically something that they didn't want to do. They didn't want to feel like they had to compete with all the other action films that had come out in the last 18 years. They were only competing with themselves. And so, yeah, they kind of ramp up some of the stuff, and some of the stuff gets kind of ridiculous, as most Indiana Jones movies do. But it was true to what they had done in the past and not comparatively to everything else that had come out in 18 years span. And I think... People expected Indiana Jones to come out and basically do every action-adventure movie from 18 years of history, and instead, they just worked off what they had done, and then people were like, well, that was lame, because they expected something that was never going to be. There is, I think... Uh, also, uh, th- we have a time capsule sort of thing going on here where this movie gets this reaction in this time by audiences who have changed. I, I think, again, let's call back to Phantom Menace. The audience had changed. And right. so the movie was no longer speaking to the part that they thought, blah, 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 all of that psychoanalytical stuff. The same people that have a problem with you know different over-the-top sorts of things in this is it really that much more of a movie sin than inflating a raft out of an airplane that's falling, <laughs> landing, yes, going down the side of a mountain and ending up in a river that takes you to a place missing its Shankara stone? Or, yes. I don't know, going through that mine shaft? Or, I don't know, riding the top of a U-boat for hundreds of nautical miles? Or, you know, like there are any of a number of things where if you really want to nitpick it, Right. Oh, I don't know. Every, Not dying when the tank falls off the, yes. you know, the hill. I mean, yes. I don't know. I just, oh. 
Yeah. Not dying while dra- being dragged by a truck, you know? Yes. I, and, <laughs> and it's, and, and I do, I do understand because of the things that we've already pointed to, you know, that the look doesn't quite match and the humor is too indulgent at certain points. And you could have d- done without this. You could have made this tighter. You could have maybe blended these characters. That still doesn't mean it's a terrible movie. That still doesn't mean it's so worthy of the disdain that it receives. And, Again, I'm not saying anybody has to love it or have my opinion of it or anything like that, but I'm just saying I I very much, especially rewatching it again. Th- this is not the first time I've rewatched it in years. Just back in April, I rewatched it. I showed it to my kids and I was watching oh, it. Oh, that's right. How did they like it? It they are completely conscious of what people, you know, have said about the movies. They've overheard conversations with my other friends and stuff like that. And one of my daughters actually looked at me and started asking me, well, you know, and I'm not going to I'm not going to name drop anybody that they name dropped. But, you know, well, why does he what does he think is wrong with this? And I'll be like, ah, well, you know, he thinks this. And my kid just scrunches up her nose and she says, why do people take it so seriously? It's an actual line <laughs> from my kid's mouth. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? You and me, we have an understanding here. <laughs> you, 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 you and me we're on a wavelength so you know what take that for what you will I take it as I'm proud of the girl you can take it as I have the sensibilities of a 10 year old whatever I don't care well it's funny that you mentioned that because so my wife and I have been slowly rewatching through Star Trek Enterprise uh, because Discovery started we started watching that and I kind of started this experiment just to see what she would think of you know obviously the brand new show and then Enterprise um, which is the the newest besides Discovery, just to kind of see what her reaction would be. Well, one, she's stopped watching Discovery, and she's kept wanting to watch Enterprise. We got to Terra Prime, which is one of the most ripped-apart episodes in the history of Star Trek. Um, And I told her that after we watched it that people hate this episode. They absolutely hate it. She's like, why? It seemed pretty Star Trek-y to me. Like, the episode yeah. before that was unexpected. She said the exact same thing. She's like, why? She's like, I thought it was funny. Well, like, there's there, there. I think as well is something that I think can really happen a lot of times is I think that the the target audience, the, the whatever audience we're talking about here, this amorphous audience that is a useful example, is I think that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull winds up not playing pandering if you will to the sensibilities of the people who have aged 18 years since Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade it doesn't pander to them and say I'm going to do exactly what you want to give you the glowies inside it says I'm going to do what I do and that's how it's going to be and I do. I think that there is very much a hardwired response that people can have to a film. And I'm not pointing fingers. People can take this comment for whatever you want. But it's very telling because there are certain movie franchises uh, and television franchises, what have you, where they are making it their job to, it's not just play to expectations, but pander to the demands of the audience. Nobody wins. Nobody wins in that scenario. That's just all yeah. I'm going to say. 
Well, and and I think too, it, it's one of those things, specifically with this movie, where it was it's very true to what Indiana Jones is. Uh, it is a bit more lighthearted than any of the other Indiana Jones movies. But I also think that part of that is that this story, they're very cognizant that they could never do another. And they want the story of Indiana Jones and Marion and Mutt to end on a happy ending. They want this movie to end with you feeling good about where Indiana Jones ends up if you never see him again. In the same way that Spielberg specifically called out the shot in The Last Crusade where Indy's riding off into the sun so that you feel good about knowing your character is happy and healthy and kind of where you want him to be. That they that This is a specific choice that they're making. And... I don't know. Maybe we just don't like happy things anymore. I, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. I, I think it's a valid point. I don't know if I agree with it, but I, I think it's. You've given me something to chew on, but something actually that has crept into my mind about it a lot, uh, especially rewatching it this time, is we live in an age where there is a surfeit of information. And there is absolutely no desire or thought that maybe they're, they're I, I mean, we see people headline read and people just, you know, take things in and, and, and don't really discern and, and, and those sorts of things. Do you think that the message of a movie like Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull doesn't play as well? Well, one of the messages of it, which is there are some things we were not meant to know. Do you think that there's something psychological at play there? That people That's are going to reject that question. in the modern age. That's a good question. I I love that message too, um, because I I feel like it it fits perfectly within the idea of who Indiana Jones has been, and who he is now. You know, because uh, when you think about it, you know, if you watch the movies chronologically, Doom is the first one, right. and Indy is basically, uh, Mac. He's a treasure hunter. All he's after is kind of like fame and fortune and finding these, you know, lost treasures. Uh, he's not really a guy that you kind of like, honestly. Um, and That's true. Throughout the series, if you watch it in chronological order, Indy continually grows into a person who becomes um, first kind of a begrudging believer uh, and then a believer. And now he's a full-on believer. Uh, and, and Indy's never going to probably be somebody who's super spiritual or anything, but he's going to be somebody who now realizes there is a time and a place for me to, to explore and to know, and then there's a time for me to back off. Um, right. There's a time for me to get out of the spaceship, as it were. There's yeah. a time for me to say, I gotta, yeah, I'm good. Uh, and yes, uh, there's a time to close your eyes, and there's a time to take a leap of faith and those sorts of things. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I really, I can't resolve it. Do we live in an age where people just, you know, if you, is it really that different than the end of Raiders, which is there are some things you're not meant to possess or hold. And, and of course you can call it a cheap call out if you want to or whatever, but the arc is in this warehouse in area 51, which is apparently full of things people shouldn't be thinking about or messing with, which is in the same area where they are testing nuclear weapons, 
which are really a game changer in the history of humanity because we suddenly became capable of ending all life on the planet in the matter of minutes. You know, now watch out. Here comes Genesis. Uh, but it, it really is. <laughs> here comes you know, the A-bomb. Right. No, but seriously, think about it. Like the first place they go to is where the Ark is, which is where this other thing is. So it's like there's a giant repository of stuff that people never should have screwed with next to the testing site of something people never should have screwed with. There's something at play there. And, you know. And it's funny because that fits perfectly with, I think, um, the ways in which uh, George has been dealing with that subject through Star Wars at that point with the prequel trilogy of Anakin possessing something he shouldn't hold on to so strongly or it will ruin him. And Spielberg has played with those ideas uh, with uh, playing God and maybe not uh, playing with forces that you should be playing with in Jurassic Park. And, of course, seeing people play God and and something like as serious as Schindler's List, um, you know, uh, and so it it feels like this is kind of the culmination of everything that Spielberg and Lucas have both been doing over, you know, their entire careers. And, yeah, they are, I think, saying something really important, which is humanity, wake up. There are things in which you are not meant to understand. And look, I don't think Lucas or Spielberg are specifically religious, but I do think that they have a respect for and an understanding that human beings on the totem pole of intelligence aren't the top dogs. Whether that means there's yeah. a God or something like that, I mean, I, I'd be interested to have that conversation with them, but they're yeah. clearly saying... In this, we're not meant to know it all. We're not meant to be God. And isn't that kind of back in the Garden of Eden what, you know, we wanted was we wanted to know it all? Maybe we shouldn't be know-it-alls. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. There there are certain things, and how many zombie movies now are rooted in the idea that you know scientists were screwing around with a virus that didn't uh, that that shouldn't have been messed around with, or some sort of cure backfired, and there were unintended consequences. I mean, over on stage nine, we just talked about uh, uh, the most recent I Am Legend with uh, Will oh, Smith. Oh yeah, yeah. And the whole thing with that is kicked off by somebody intending to do good and screwing around with something that shouldn't have been touched, and it winds up killing everybody. And that is very much a theme that, you know, is reinforced in the Indiana Jones. There are certain things you can sit there, and people can roll their eyes, and people can say, oh, well, no, we should be masters of our own destiny. And sure, we should. But at the same time, there are certain ethical lines where people should look at them and say, ah, nah, it's it's okay. I, I don't need you know, I don't need a more aggressive honeybee. Let's not <laughs> create a more aggressive honeybee and introduce killer bees to the Western Hemisphere. You know, that would have been a good idea. Yeah, possibly a great plan to not do. Um, you know, I, it is interesting because I, I think that what you get is that you get an Indiana Jones who is what you said earlier. You know, he is a little bit slower. He's a little bit older, but he's also a lot wiser. And by the end, he clearly understands when to make the decision to let go and to not know. 
And I think mm-hmm. that is the epitome of what it means to be a wise human being, somebody who has learned from their past. And that's what we get in, in this Indiana Jones. And I think it's, you know, he's a little less cocky and he's a lot more sure of when to not stick his nose in possibly God's business or an alien's business. Transdimensional beings are not ones to be suffered. No, absolutely no, not, not at all. Not absolutely at not. All. And I do not want to go out like Spalco because that looked really painful. That did. And it looked a you lot know, like just... Grievous's death. Oh, oh, yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, man, it did. Uh, let's talk but, about them, though. Yes. I wanted to talk about uh, Spalco and uh, Mac, and we mentioned it earlier, but let's start with Spalco, because um, <laughs> I was watching the extras, and uh, Johnny Williams was talking about creating her theme and how excited he was to create her theme because he got to kind of do this noirish, um, femme fatale, kind of sexy, undertone, dark theme for her. And he tells Steven, he's like, I don't know. She's she's just my kind of babe. Like, maybe she shouldn't be. And <laughs> no, I you know, I think I think that uh, Kate Blanchett plays her with. I, I think what is great about her performance, absolutely wonderful about her performance is this is simply somebody this is like she's like Belloc in that. She doesn't mm-hmm. really care about who she's working for. She is working for the people that are willing to give her the leeway to get what she wants. And if she, you know, you can see this character, if she had been born in the cornfields of Iowa, she would have still followed this path, only it would have been the United States government that was pushing her forward. And another thing that I love about her character is these types of. Uh, you know the 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 psychic powers and the experimenting with them and stuff like that. The U.S. and the Soviets were were they were firm believers and pushing for these things hardcore. They wanted to recruit people to act as mind spies and act as people who could influence things. And I think that she really nails the uh, frustration of a person who wants to believe they have this power. But, you know, let's be honest, it's probably not really there, you know? You're a hard man to read, Dr. Jones. Exactly. And, and you know what? I want to... High marks for her accent, because you know, the way you're sinking your teeth into those W's, that is really... It's so easy to do just that schlocky Russian accent. And she did an actual nuanced, believable, non-native English speaker accent that is stunning like it's really like next level stuff well i mean one i love that steven wanted her and um i the one of the things about the Indiana jones movies is they always get fantastic actors and getting Kate blanchett i mean is a huge get because at this point she's she's really rising up in the ranks Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a fantastic actress. I love Kate Blanchett. I've seen most of her movies because I love her so much. So I'm right there with John Williams. Uh, and <laughs> But I, I agree with you. She makes for a fascinating villain in the sense of Belloc because she's not quite evil. 
she just is driven by this intoxicating desire, almost like Anakin, to know what she shouldn't know. Well, I, I will throw out there that she is uh, pretty evil because she lists off the awards that she was given that is by true. the Soviets. That is and true. you weren't a nice person if you got those sorts of things. Yeah, she probably had no qualms about killing she w- people. She was amoral. It's yes, not that she was immoral, go. she was amoral. Yeah. The only the only thing that defined her, like Belloc, was her desired goal. And I, I mean, I love her in the film. Um, you know, uh, the, the first scene that she has with, with Ford is fantastic. Uh, she picked her look specifically. She looked through uh, yearbooks and found the look that she wanted and... Uh, you know, she really sunk herself into the character, and I think it really shows um, because I, I, I really enjoy her performance. Um, Mac was a funny character just because I, I, I for me, uh, he's the guy I feel like, again, as I said earlier, I feel like he's just supposed to kind of be the mirror for who Indy used to be, uh, and Mac is the guy who's just stayed that same person and never, ever changed. You know, Mac was the hardest character for me to uh, to get into. Um, uh, you know, it, it took a couple of viewings for me to really go along with him. But I think your read of him is spot on. That he is that he is like Indy's shadow, where we all have that friend that hasn't quite, uh, you know. But we love them. We we know who they are. We accept them for who they are. But we also know that they're not they're not maturing at the rate that everybody else around them seems to have and i think that uh i think that he's a fun character i do think that the movie would have benefited from probably fewer characters uh i think mac as much as i enjoy mac mac is not vital to the plot and as a result if i were taking a really hard eye at the script mac is the one who would have i would have said eh, we don't need mac yeah um i i do actually 100 percent agree with you i think he is the character that i would have tried to if i was writing the script with george find a way to to meld him into other characters uh that already existed um I mean, he's important in the sense that he brings both sides together in a lot of ways, but I, I yeah, um, and his back and forth, double, triple, quadruple agent thing right. does get slightly old, but you know what? I, I just, I, I get it. I, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, you roll with it. He serves a, a, a purpose, but it would have been nice to roll him up. I mean, even into like Jim Broadbent's character, you know? Roll, yeah, roll him up into that one. Without maybe him be the, you know, without him the being the double agent or say, yeah, yeah. 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 Nope, you're right. Um, And, and uh, I mean, I like John Hurt. Uh, he doesn't have a ton to do in the movie, but he, uh, I, he's, yeah. he's a good actor, so having him in the role was nice. I really have a feeling that he was uh, a repurposed Sean Connery. Yes. I very I, much yep. get the vibe that and and I think that it would have been a much stronger call to action for the audience mm-hmm. if they had said your it's dad's missing. Yep. Yeah, it would have been a full family affair. Um and actually right. they did ask Sean to come back. Uh and Sean 
said uh, because I in in the interview he gave for the the book, he said if anybody could have gotten me out of retirement, it would have been them because I would have. I he he basically said I would have come back in a heartbeat if I wasn't having so much fun being retired. Uh, because he, he absolutely loved working with Harrison and George and Steven. He loved the role. He just, you know, he didn't really want to give up retirement, which, hey, you know, I totally get when you're Yeah, I, I get that, too. I get that, too. I wonder if maybe there's even some sort of reflex action that diamonds are forever, you know, just <laughs> left such a mark on him. He's like, yes. oh, no, I'm I'm quite all right not well, coming that, back to well, this role. Well, Never Say Never Again, I think, is the one that really left the scar. Oh, uh, so. Oh. No, never say never again. <laughs> that, yeah. That's, that's like a colonoscopy without, you know, any yeah, kind of protection. Ugh. Yeah. That, yes. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. Wow. I forgot about never say never again. That is, wow. You want to talk about hell's double feature. It's diamonds are forever and never say never again. Only Oof. if you never want to watch another movie again. That, that, that would <laughs> yeah. be, yeah. That is, um, that is it. I'm trying to think of if anything that we, I mean, we've been talking through everything and, and it, as per usual with us these days it's kind of flow of consciousness but yeah was there anything else about the movie that kind of stuck out to you that we didn't get a chance to talk about uh oh i got a question for you yeah did the ants bother you because i know a lot of people okay i i love the ants me too the the ants are indiana jones my kids love the ants my my daughter covers her eyes because she thinks that death is horrifying and what's an indiana jones movie without a horrifying death Yep. You need a horrifying death in an Indiana Jones movie. Uh, and, well, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, and in <laughs> the extra, Stevens, like, it's the one time that we couldn't have the real creepy crawlies because there was absolutely no way to make them do what we wanted them to do. And, of course, it's right. really dangerous. Um, the other thing is, is that I'm allergic, highly allergic to fire ants in the first place. Really? So that, that, yeah, my... Uh, I, I get bites and um, they blow up pretty big. Uh, so huh. anyway, uh, having that scene in the movie, it it freaks me the heck out even more than the other creepy crawlies because I'm actually really allergic probably to those kind of ants and that th- they just ugh, ugh. I uh, I just thought that they were they were great. I thought the they they were the tone was perfect. I thought. You know, everything was great about that. Are there other things in the Amazon that I would have trimmed back? Yeah. You know, in that sequence, there there are plenty of things I would have trimmed back, and le- but I the ants are not one of them. I would I would have left them in 100% of the time. Is there anything for, else for you that kind of just stood out uh, that we haven't talked about? Maybe music or I don't know. what What have we not talked about before we rate this sucker? No, I you know the music was good. You know, it, it's latter day Williams can get a little repetitive at points, uh, but at the same time, I tend to forgive it. I, I thought the score was fine for this. Okay, last big question then: the fridge. Yeah, I, they shouldn't have had it fly as far as they did. Although, don't have it, it fly. If it didn't, he'd be dead. So. Find anything, find it, put the town farther away from the bomb. Yeah. You know, show that there are several towns or something like, like, and you've, you've solved it right there where he's on a fringe place or, um, or something like that. I, but the thing is, then you get into the, the whole real, oh, it's not realistic. No, you're right. It's not. And yes, it's a joke that goes too far. I get it. That's fine. He, and he, and he flew through and it's like, it's a, oh, lead lined. Yeah. We had lead lined stuff. 
But at the same time, if you want to go down the realism angle, okay, they got the countdown for the bomb. They have spotters that would be able to tell (laughs) that there was a dude running around in the town, much less a car driving through. They would. It's not like they 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 just couldn't do anything. It, they'd be like T minus one. Oh, uh, Larry, there's a there's somebody out there in the town. Uh, yeah. call off the countdown. Like seriously, that's that's what what would have happened. Uh, so, but with, with the the lead line fridge, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it it needed to be there for him to live. Okay. Can I just say for me? It's it's just so outlandish. It's great, like because that's kind of what Indiana Jones is, right? And for me, it ah. just it it worked because it was so over the top. And and I know I get that yeah. that doesn't happen for everybody, but it happened for me, and I just rolled with it because you know I I get what they're trying to do. Um, I I uh, I so. made reference to the raft out of the plane going down the mountains thing previously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say that's my that is my line of demarcation for uh, for how far I'm willing to go with it. And, and it's I would pretty say, similar for the most part. I mean, I would say that the the distance the fridge flew and the way it landed that went yeah. a little bit beyond the raft. You're true. I mean, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I I just was like, you know what? If I can accept that, I can accept this. So. I, I, I took it for what it was, which is yeah. a groaner of a joke, and okay, let's move on. John, if you are raiding Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, um, you know, where where do you land? Uh, I land on four out of five. And I, I know there's a record scratch somewhere out there. What? I'd say probably before I watched it with my kids in April, I was in the three and a half range. But after I watched it with them, uh, again, I, you know, I'll make a reference to uh, another movie that came out a long time after, uh, you know, the the most recent entry, Force Awakens. I, I I didn't fully plug into that one until I watched it with my kids, and it's it's true. You know, why do people take it so seriously? It's fun. It's an adventure. And I'll tell you, when I reach for the Indiana Jones box set, uh, yeah, Raiders and, and Last Crusader are, are cut above. They're the best mm-hmm. ones in the series, hands down. But then if you put me to the test of Temple of Doom versus Crystal Skull, Crystal Skull 100% of the time. Yeah, because it's more fun. You're going to get more enjoyment out of watching it. Yeah, and there are also other problems with Temple of Doom that, uh, you know, people, I think, just willingly forget. Yeah, like Kate Capshaw. I, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> What's that? Look, I, What's a Kate Capshaw? I, I'm <laughs> right there with you. And I, I think uh, Roger Ebert summed it up best when he reviewed this film. Uh, and he said, and he gave it 3.5 out of 4. Uh, okay. And he said, I can say that if you like the other Indiana Jones movies, you will like this one. And that if you did not, there is no talking to you. I love that guy. I, I, I do too. What a I great guy. Him, and I absolutely agree with you. I'm right there with you. It's it's 4 out of 5 stars. This is a fun, enjoyable movie. I got to say, they just don't make them like they used to. Um, this, this movie <laughs> yeah. is not afraid to be like the other Indiana Jones movies, which means that it doesn't wrestle necessarily keep up with the times of 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that sorely missed that we're afraid to make movies like this. Um, it, and just have fun. It just have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and yes, this movie 
did have points where it could have taken itself just slightly more seriously, and that would have been fantastic, and I think it would have helped the movie. Um, is it a perfect movie? Absolutely not. But it is it a worthy successor to the Indiana Jones franchise? Does it deserve to be in that box set? 100 absolutely percent yes. And so... Uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see what the reaction is in the Babel Conference to this one. Um, oh, boy. But um, This is, is going to be a fire starter, Matt. You yeah, know it. <laughs> I know. But, you know, John and I have had a blast sitting here talking about uh, this film. And, uh, you know, it, it, want, it is one that we unabashedly love. Um, but we also realize that there are issues. You know, we're, we're not being blind fans here. In fact, I think that half of the show was us talking about things that weren't perfect in the movie or that yep. could have been done better. Uh, but that doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. And I, I think there's something lost in the sense these days that we can't say something's not the absolute best or the absolute worst. This one's higher than the middle, but it's it's not the absolute best. You know, that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and it's... It, yeah, they, they started off with, uh, <laughs> with a home run and then just sort of... Yes. They love the the plateau was reached and they just sort of stayed there. Yes. So, um, yeah, and I can't wait to see what people think of this one uh, over there in the Babel Conference. I really want to say a quick thank you to our associate producers here, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. Uh, they make this show possible each and every week. Um, the fact that uh, I've been able to do it for so long because of their support, uh, as well as their support of the entire network. It's just been fantastic. I mean, uh, without people just like them supporting the network through Patreon.com, there's no way that the shows and I, that John and I do and all the other shows that come to you on the network could happen. And so I encourage you to go over to Patreon.com slash TrekFM, see how you can support the team and the shows that come to you. Um, as you notice, the, the shows are ad-free. Great quality content coming to you each and every day of the week. Sometimes... We have two shows coming out on a day. So make sure, again, that you see how you can be part of that team. Every little bit helps. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Well, John, I know that I had an absolute blast talking about this movie with you. I think next year we're going to have to dive into the last two indie movies that we haven't done yet uh, because we have done Raiders and we've done the last one. Now we got to go back and do the middle. Uh, All right. Yeah. So... um, let everybody know, as we've mentioned, you've got stuff going on all over the place. And so if people want to reach out to you and talk about Indiana Jones or any of the other shows that you're doing, uh, where can they find you, man? Oh, well, uh, look for Kessel Junkie online. Uh, that's me. And right here on the network, uh, again, congratulations to the 602 Club on the Parsec Award uh, finalist. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, oh, uh, congratulations to you on the uh, aggressive negotiations for your Parsec Award nomination and Stage 9. Right here on the network, Stage 9 with me and Mike Schindler. Uh, we are having a lot of fun with that one, uh, looking at a lot of different things and, uh, you know, just, just having a blast. And Mike Schindler and I are also doing great Shot Kid over on the Nerd Party Network, which is we're having a, a lot of fun looking at we've been defining the Star Wars saga a shot at a time, one shot from each movie. And then we had a, a lovely little discussion about uh, the approaches of Blade Runner 2049 versus The Force Awakens. That was a lively discussion. 
and uh, actually over there on the Nerd Party Network uh, with you, Matt. I am there uh, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast, also nominated for a Parsec Award. So those are a lot of fun. And I am also co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. Now, Matt, those are all the places I can be found. Where can you be found? Well, I, I am lurking over on the Twitter at uh, MattRushing02. I'm also on Instagram under the same name. Uh, you can find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine when we get a chance to meet up and record, which is so tough these days since uh, we're on totally different parts of the world and different schedules. So uh, <laughs> yep. we appreciate people staying with us. Uh, we'll, we promise to try and get one out to everyone soon. Uh, you can also find me uh, on the Nerd Party Network doing... Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk through each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series. That's a blast. I hope you'll check that out. And then last but not least, I'm doing a show called Cinema Stories, and that is with my good friend Courtney, and we're talking through film, but we're going through it with the lens of faith. And so, uh, like recently we did Interstellar, we've done a bunch of other movies already, so I hope you'll check that out. And you can find all the shows that John and I do on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So, thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? you hear?